My name is Mike Saba. Um, I teach archaeology and the Bible at Kilns College. Welcome to you this morning. I don't do a lot of preaching. Most of what I do is teaching, and so I wanted to open it up this morning as I make this presentation for questions, if you have them, as we go through here. So please feel free to raise your hand if the questions are too lengthy or the answers are too lengthy. We'll have to do it afterwards, uh, which I'll be happy to do. But uh, if we can handle them during the discussion, please feel free to raise your hands. Um, I'd really like to be able to interact with you on that regard. Now, uh, does everybody have a sheet like so? And if you don't, you'll want to get one, because this is the outline for what we're doing this morning. And the overhead works. And the pointer works. Okay, this, this is called archaeology in the Bible. Does everybody have one of these? If you don't have, raise your hand, and we'll hand these out to you from the side. Everybody got one? See any hands? There's one there. Okay, thank you very much. I see that hand. Thank you very much. Okay, how many here have been to Israel or anywhere in the Middle East? Let's show your hands if you have. All right, quite a few. So you've got a tour. A, or got, you've taken a tour there. It's a, it's a wonderful experience, a great learning time. And this morning, what I'm going to do is just go through a number of archaeological finds that correlate well with the Bible. And I'm going to kind of take these in chronological order. And as I said, uh, please ask questions as we go through here. If I don't see your hand, then just uh, go ahead and shout them out. Uh, not too loud, though. Okay. So the first uh, thing that we want to look at here this morning, and let me check here if my pointer is on, we're going to start at about uh, the time of the Exodus, roughly the 15th century B.C., and we have the Israelites, of course, here in Egypt, and they migrate, they have a few bad days, or they escape, I should say, have a few bad days in Sinai, in fact, a few bad years there, and then they finally migrate up and they come into the land of Canaan up here, Okay go across the Jordan River. And the first archaeological finding that we have outside of the Bible that makes a reference to Israel is actually in, from ancient Egypt, and it's on this stone right here. This is the first mention of Israel outside of the Bible and it's an Egyptian carving from about 1208 B.C., roughly 1209. You see different dates. And it's called the Merneptha Stila. Stila is just a carved stone. Okay? It looks, this thing is about seven feet tall. Now, just a little story behind this. I was in the Egyptian Museum. How many have been in the Egyptian Museum? In Cairo? Very many? Few? Um, it's right by ter where Tahrir Square is where all the uh, protests and everything were going on earlier this year. In the background, you could always see the Egyptian museum. In any case, this stela, it's about seven feet tall, block, and uh, it's got all these hieroglyphic carvings on it. And I'm looking for it, and I think, man, this is really a famous thing. It should be like right in the front door, right? Some place where everybody could see it. And I'm looking and looking and can't find it. I asked somebody, ah, we don't know where it's at. And they've got it tucked away kind of in a corner uh, in, in sort of a weird uh, stairwell area in a very nondescript place. 
And I think that here we see where the politics and the religion and so forth of today have an impact on the archaeological questions of antiquity because this is the first mention of Israel outside of the Bible, and it refers to Israel being in the land almost 3,000 years ago. So the oldest attestation for the existence of Israel in that land is actually in the Egyptian museum outside of the Bible itself. So they don't want to advertise that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, in any case, this uh, carving says, and it's a typical boastful speech that you see in uh, ancient Near Eastern kings, not one of the nine bows lifts his head. Tehanu is vanquished. Kati at peace. Canaan is captive with all woe. Ashkelon is conquered. Gezer seized. Yenoam made non-existent. Blah, 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 blah. And then here we go. Israel is wasted bear of seed. The first mention of Israel outside of the Bible. Okay? About 1200 B.C. Okay. So any questions on that? All right? Holler them out if you can. Now, on your chart, you've got this little chart here, and I'm going to work through that chart up here, okay? So point by point, I'll put those uh, names on your chart up here overhead. And so our first mention, first good correlation textually with the Bible, we're going to call it about 1200 B.C., and it's called the Merneptastila, and it mentions the nation of Israel, Okay? So, that's our first one. The next one, there's a king named David. What's he famous for? Goliath, bad day with Beersheba, all of that business, right? The Davidic line, uh, we come down through the house of David. Jesus comes from that. He's the son of David. So, was there a David? I mean, you have the Bible. We want to believe the Bible. But is there anything we can find on the outside of the Bible that gives attestation to David. Uh, and there is. Here is a stone that was found in the early 90s, about 1992-93, and it references right here, Bit David, which is the house of David. And this was the first one outside of the Bible, the first attestation to David that was found. Now, since that time, there's th two or three additional probable findings relating to where there's a direct reference to King David. Kind of cool, okay? So, that's the next one. All right. Now, moving on, of course, that's on your chart there. Next one. After Solomon, of course, if you read in the Bible, and I always say this, the, par the parts of the Bible that people are into archaeology, the parts that they like are the kind that everybody else falls asleep at, you know? So-and-so was the king of this and that, and he attacked, and, blah, and you fall asleep, right? Because, you know, you know, it's just history. But if we can look at that history and then kind of correlate it with archaeological findings, that's really cool. So the archaeological types, they go after these rather obscure verses. And here is one. This is, uh, first of all, 2 Chronicles 12, 2-4. And it says, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. With 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen, he captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as, and you fall asleep, right? That's how it goes. I know. Well, there's actually an Egyptian record of this attack that's in the Bible. It's kind of cool. And 
we found this in Karnak, uh, Luxor, Egypt. It's called Luxor today, but there's a big temple called Karnak Temple there. And on the side of the walls of this huge temple, they have all of these pharaonic carvings of all their great victories and wars and how they smited the, the Cushites and smited this people and smited that person. And on this wall, there is a reference where to this attack right here up into Israel. Even mentions some cities from Israel. And what I remember about this is that Egypt is hot. <laughs> I just wanted to get out of there as fast as we could. But we looked everywhere to find this, and this actually is uh, a reference. And uh, you can't see it. This is too well, but this is the Egyptian god Amun. The pharaoh is down here, and it's all the story about this raid up into Israel. Kind of fun. Fun stuff. Okay? All right. So that's number three on our list. Shishak wall carving. All right, here's a very important and famous one. This is a, an encounter with Moab. Moab is a little country right down here uh, alongside of Israel, which, of course, is right here. You've got Edom, Moab, Ammon, Aram, Geshur, these different areas that Israel uh, encountered during their uh, stay there in the land. And the Moabites recorded their interaction with Israel in the same way that Israel recorded their interaction with the Moabites. In fact, they even talk about the same stories. It's kind of fun. This is called the Misha Stila. Stila, again, is just a big inscribed stone. Kind of looks like a tombstone. And you'll see that it's uh, kind of broken up here. This is a funny story behind this. Uh, this was found in the 1800s in the Arab Bedouins when they knew the Europeans were looking for this stuff. They took this stone and they heated it up and poured cold water on it to break it all into different pieces and spread the pieces out because they figured they could get more money for the pieces. And they actually did. <laughs> they got them all put back together. And on this stone, very interesting, this is called the Moabite stone or the Misha Stila. First of all, the biblical text. Okay? Again, one of the parts you probably haven't paid a great deal of attention to. But now Misha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to supply the king of Israel with hundreds of thousands of lambs and with the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against Israel, so on and so forth. On that stela that I showed you, here is the text. And I've color-coded these so you can see where there's a reference in the Bible and a reference on the Moabite stone and how they match. Okay, First one. Or it says, I am Misha, king of Chemosh, Yats, or son of so-and-so. King Omri, now we know him from the Bible as well, had oppressed Moab many days, for Chemosh was angry with his land. I took the vessels of Yahweh. Okay? So we see a direct reference here. Misha, Misha, king, king of Israel, Omri, so on and so forth. And that's one, that reference there, Yahweh, is one of the oldest references to the covenant name of God outside of the Bible, okay? But it's not the oldest. But it's kind of interesting that we get Yahweh mentioned in texts or in inscriptions from countries next to uh, Israel. They recognized who Israelites' God was, okay? The oldest, okay, that's the Moabite stone, okay? 
the oldest reference to Yahweh outside of the Bible comes from about 1400 B.C. A lot of people will say that, oh, it's the Moabite stone, that's the oldest reference. But there's actually an older one. Come from about 1400 BC and it's carved in modern day, what's modern day Sudan, but what at that time was ancient Egypt. Okay? And this is what it looks like. These are, this is hieroglyphs. Who can, no, nobody can, I can't read them either. But what this says, oops, hold on, is the Shashu of Yahweh. And what it is, is the wanderers or the Bedouins of Yahweh, and it's referring to the people who were up in Canaan. We don't know if this were, these were Israelites or another group who was worshiping Yahweh, but in any case, it's the oldest reference we have outside of the Bible to Yahweh, the covenant name of the God of Israel. And fascinating stuff, okay? All right, so let's move forward in history. <coughs> Excuse me, Israel versus Assyria. Of course, the Assyrian Empire... Over here in Mesopotamia, makes incursions over here into the land of Israel. And uh, they had a lot of interaction between those two countries. And the records from both countries match up fairly nicely. It's kind of interesting. Okay? Let me click here. This is a find called the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser. Say that fast three times. Shalmaneser, Shalmaneser. Can't do it, right? All right, black obelisk of Shalmaneser. And this is a picture that's on that obelisk. It's about like this tall thing. And on it, it says Jehu, son of Omri. And it talks about the Israelites coming, Jehu, to offer, sac or offer uh, offerings to Shalmaneser, the Assyrian king. And most scholars believe that this here is actually a picture of Jehu himself. Okay? Now, we don't know that, but we do know that the inscription says Jehu, son of Omri, and so forth. And it talks about them bringing sacrifices and offerings to Shalmaneser. Tribute. Okay? So on this, first of all, we'll look at the Bible. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Okay? And then, the Assyrian records. I received, Je I received tribute from Jehu of the house of Omri, silver, gold, and gold bowl, a gold turn, gold vessels, Jehu, Jehu. It's kind of amazing. And then the Assyrian records, they're recording the same things that are going on in your Bible. Not everything, not all, all the stuff, but there's a very nice match here, okay, as we go through here. All right, so what do we got so far? First of all, from archaeology alone, we have a reference to Israel, to David, to Yahweh, to Egyptian attacks, to Jehu, and there's a lot more. We can sort of build a history of that area that coincides very nicely with the biblical text from just looking at the archaeology. Now, we're not going to get the full scale of things, obviously, because archaeology is not going to find everything, but it's kind of nice. We get a lot of points of contact. It's fun to go through this stuff. Okay? Any questions so far? Buddy? Okay? None? 
We got everybody up to speed. All right, sweet. All right, 2 Chronicles 26, 1 through 4. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Okay? Another one of those parts of the Bible where you look at and you go, okay, next. Okay? Where's the good parts? But they found the burial plaque that covers the place where Uzziah was born. And it says here, to this place were brought the bones of Uzziah, king of Judah, do not open. <laughs> kind of fun. So what does that tell us about ancient Israel? What does it tell us? Even the thieves could read. <laughs> yeah, I think about it. Anyway, so yeah, so on that right there, it mentions Uzziah, all right? So we keep going. Uzziah plaque, all right? And we have more trouble with Assyria, Israel versus Assyria. This is Tiglath-Pileser, another name that we see, or some other names that we see in the Bible that are also recorded in um, Assyrian records. In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and deported the people to Assyria. Then Hosea, son of Elah, conspired against Pekah, son of Ramah, attacked and assassinated him, and then succeeded him as king in the 20th year of the son, and so on, and so on, and so forth. I don't know if I got all the right names color-coded up here, but look at the Assyrian records, okay? And we are clicking Assyrian records. They overthrew their king Pekah, Pekah, and I placed Hosea as king over them, okay? Now, what this gives us is actually some more information about what was going on in ancient Israel that we don't have in the Bible. Because here it just says, Then Hosea, son of Elah, conspired against Pekah, son of Ramalia. He attacked and assassinated him and then succeeded him. If that was all you knew, you would think that just he took the, he took the throne after assassinating him. But it looks like they were vassals under the Assyrians at this time, because at least the Assyrians are claiming they overthrew their king Pekah, and I placed Hosea as king over them. So they had to work through the Assyrians. It's fine. You know, it's, it's just an interesting uh, bit of history. But what we're doing here as we go through this is we're defining the kind of literature that the Bible is. You hear this a lot, and people will say, well, the Bible's just myth, it's all fabrication, and it's all so and so and so. You've heard that before. Have you heard that? But it's not true. <laughs> you can go into the field and start kicking around, and you find very nice correlations between archaeology, just the written texts that other cultures have, and the Bible. Okay? Now, there's some traps to that you want to be really careful of. We'll talk about it in a minute. But are you with me on that? You see what's going on here? We're finding these correlations in other cultures who are recording the same history. The Bible's not fiction. It's history. Okay? All right. So going on. Tiglath-Pileser, Pekah, uh, Israel versus Assyria again. Of course, the Assyrians were nasty folk. They uh, expanded their empire, did a beatdown on just about everybody. Uh, really a wicked group of folks. Um, but here is a finding. I took this picture so you can see some of the uh, reflections here that aren't so cool. <laughs> it's not a professionally done picture. But I got this in the uh, Oriel Institute at the University of Chicago 
a great museum. Tons of Bible things, and when I was in there, I started finding all these references to um, biblical figures, Darius, Xerxes, uh, Terhaka, and Hezekiah. But on this, and it's about oh, this tall, about a foot or two, it's a baked clay prism, six-sided. It's full of cuneiform text. And what it does, or part of it, it tells the story of Sennacherib's siege of Jerusalem, the same story that you find in the Bible, but from a different perspective. And it's very interesting. So, um, here is the uh, text from the Bible. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Okay? And then if you keep reading your Bible, you'll know what happens here. Does he take Jerusalem or not? Anybody remember? No, he doesn't take Jerusalem. Hezekiah gets this letter because uh, Sennacherib comes and says, Hey, give up your city. What God can protect you from me? He gets this letter, takes it into Isaiah. Isaiah talks to God. God says, eh, Time out, Sennacherib. You insulted the living God. You're not going to get it into this city of Jerusalem. So they're not going to take Jerusalem. That's the story in the Bible. Okay? Sennacherib also tells the story from his side. Okay? And here's what he said. As for Hezekiah, that Jew, who did not bow to my submission to my yoke, I besieged and conquered. He himself I shut up like a caged bird within the city of Jerusalem, his royal city. What did he not say? What? What's that? Yeah, <laughs> he didn't get the city. This is political spin 700 B.C., okay? He pushes the envelope as far as he can, but he doesn't claim to actually have taken the city. Why not? Because he didn't, okay? So what can he do? He's stuck. But he, he, he spins it as much as he can and says, well, I locked him up like a bird in the cage. You know, I had control over him. But then he lost his army and, had, and then his ki own kids killed him and so forth and so on. Uh, you know, Bad situation for him. Um, but you see the correlation? This is an amazing correlation. Probably one of the best you'll find because in the Bible it says he didn't get the city. And over here in the Assyrian records it, it says he didn't get the city. Kind of cool. And you can find that at University of Chicago at their Oriental Institute. In fact, there's a number of those. There's one in the British Museum as well. Okay? So, uh, Sennacherib, prison, Terhaka, or Sennacherib, prison, Hezekiah, caged like a bird. All right. Contradictions. This is a question I get a lot. Are there contradictions between the Bible and archaeology? Okay? If you mean something that proves that the Bible is false, no. A true contradiction, A equals non-A, no, you don't find that. Now, there's some philosophical reasons why it's probably impossible to do that. Uh, but here's what we do get. And... Um, so you'll know, because you know, I'm not here to, to snow you or <laughs> fool you or anything. I'll just give you the whole story. There are some differences in details, in the small details that we find, 
between the Bible and the archaeological records. And there could be a number of reasons that s explain this. For instance, in that last story that we were just dealing with, uh, the Bible says that uh, there was 300 talents of silver given to Sennacherib. Sennacherib claims he got 800 talents of silver. Okay? Well, there's a lot of different reasons for this. I had a discussion. I, I teach this archaeology in the Bible up at uh, Deer Ridge uh, Prison up in Madras. They got a great ministry going on there. So we just threw this out. Um, and some of the guys that came up with reasons why this could be a difference... And the differences or the reasons could be that Sennacherib is just an excessive bragger. They could be using different measures. A talent to one is a different than a talent in the other sense. Another one is could be a time difference. This is the first shipment. This is all shipments, you know, that kind of thing. All right. So we really don't find contradictions in the strongest, in a true sense of that word, okay? And we do have some gaps in knowledge, so, for instance, one of the things that we don't have at this point in time is a direct reference in Egypt to the Exodus. And that's something we're not likely to find too much of because the Egyptians didn't record their defeats. One Egyptologist that I studied under or studied his material, he said, Egypt won every war they were ever in. They just kept winning them closer to home. <laughs> So they're not going to record that ever, okay? But it's a gap, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And there are other gaps, and I believe, and I've seen over my lifetime, them closing a lot of gaps. For instance, the, the find of Tel Dan that references David. That, that was a gap, and now it's closed. We just found the, the first century city of Nazareth. Before then, atheist websites used to go hog wild about well, we haven't found Nazareth, therefore there was no Jesus and this and that and the other thing, okay? About a year and a half ago, they found it, okay? So you have to kind of keep in mind on archaeology, it's not a perfect science. You can't find everything. Lots of things have been destroyed and will never be found. But here's one point that I want you to keep in mind. The Bible is an excellent ancient source in itself, even if it's not looked to for religious content. Okay? Now, obviously, we look at for religious content. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay? But it's an ancient source in itself, and there's many, many things in history that are believed based upon one source. Tons of things. Outside the Bible, well, the Bible shouldn't have to be checked at every point in order for it to be believed. That's very important to come to. You don't have to go, well, unless I find something on the outside, I'm not going to believe it, okay? It's a good, excellent source in itself, fully worthy of your trust. Archaeology does not prove that the Bible is the Word of God. This is funny. I was talking at a youth conference a few months ago, and, uh, and I tried to explain to him, okay, now, look. Archaeology has a lot of points of contact. It shows what kind of literature it is. It shows the Bible is historically reliable, but it doesn't show that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay? It doesn't prove the Bible. We can't prove everything from a, a source that doesn't have all the information, archaeology. So you all got that, right? Yeah, yeah. So then they go, and there's this seminar, or a big group meeting after my little breakout session, and Sean McDowell asks them, okay, how would we prove that the Bible is the Word of God? One of the people stands up. Well, archaeology proves the Bible. <laughs> I'm 
No, it doesn't, okay? But it improves a lot. And what I think it does is it gives us confidence that there's a reality to this thing from which we can then take the step spiritually to have a real relationship with God. You have to contact God directly in your spirit, through your prayers, through your faith. Archaeology can help inform this and show you that it's an objective basis on which to stand. But the next step is personal, always personal. And archaeology will never fill in all the gaps. It can't. We, we still have arguments about uh, the Kennedy assassination. I mean, we have that on record, film, and everything. People argue about these things. Is that clear? Everybody makes sense? Archaeology will give us knowledge about the historical reliability of it, that it's not crazy to believe it, but it will never answer all questions, and the final step is a step of existential relationship with God, you and God directly, spiritually. Okay, so let's move on. Pharaoh Terhaka. I only got a couple minutes. Ugh. I'm going to go through these fast, okay? Pharaoh Terhaka. Now, Sennacherib received a report that Terhaka, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. Another part in the Bible you're going to sit down and you're going to go, okay, fall asleep. Here is a picture of Terhaka. We found this in Egypt. This is in a, a big building, and um, they didn't have any doors on it, and I was there with Dana Bratton and his son Caleb Bratton. Caleb and I crawled up over the wall to this building, and we started walking around. And I said, look for a guy that's worshiping God with a bunch of baboons. That's Pharaoh Terhaka. And I'm, we're going through these rooms with flashlights and looking around, and I hear this voice. I think I found him. I think I found him. So I go into this other room, and there he is. There's Pharaoh Terhaka. Here are the baboons that he's worshiping God with. Okay, so we're going to speed it up a little bit. Uh, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Ahab, Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel. We have found a ring. We have found one of Ahab's rings. This ring says, Ahab, king of Israel. That's kind of a nice find. You start finding not just buildings, but jewelry. Okay? Looks like we're going to have to behave. This could all be true. Okay? Next thing. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. Okay? There's a reference to Jeroboam. We have found a seal that references belonging to Shema, servant of Joab. Jeroboam, another find on your list. Okay, in the 17th year of Pekah, son of Ramalia, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. We have found a clay seal impression that reads, belonging to Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah. Okay, so think of all the guys now that we've identified. Israel, David, Yahweh, Jehu, Uzziah, Pekah, Hezekiah, Terhaka, Ahab, Jeroboam, Ahaz. These are all those kings you see in the Old Testament. Looks like they were there, okay? All right, Hezekiah's tunnel. Fun thing to be in, in Jerusalem. I was in it. And, or here's the tunnel. As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city... Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Okay? So if the Bible says he built a tunnel, we ought to go out and find it, right? Okay? Well, there it is. I was in that tunnel, <clears throat> walking through with a bunch of people, and all of a sudden, we start hearing all this screaming. And it's a whole class of junior hires on a field day 
coming down the tunnel behind us. We were scared. So we put all the big guys in the back, shined our flashlights the other direction, and the water starts raising as they're running through the tunnel and doing all this crazy stuff. But we stopped them before they bowled into us. Okay, so Hezekiah's tunnel, another thing on your list. All right, a clay impression with another one from Hezekiah, belonging to Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. Another one on your list, okay? Israel versus Babylon. Another major power in the ancient Near East. This one is really detailed and kind of cool. The Bible says that Jehoiachin, one of the last kings of Judah, put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. And the king that he's talking about there is the Babylonian king. Okay? We've actually found the ration documents that record these allowances to Jehu, or Jehoiachin. This is called the Babylonian ration document, and on it it says, 32 pints, 10 liters of sesame oil for Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Same guy here, here, right here, here. So you get it in the Bible, you can find it in the outside records. Amazing correlation there. All right, now let's see, we're going to go to the New Testament. Herod, boo, bad guy, all right. You've heard of him. As Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. We found a wine jug with Herod's name on it. Kind of fun. The date the wine was made, kind of wine. Ernest and Julio Gallo of Jerusalem. King Herod, and it was made in such and such a vintage, so on and so forth. So we've got Herod all over the place, actually. Herod is very widely known in history. Okay? The Pool of Siloam. Go, he told him, wash in the Pool of Siloam. Okay? This is uh, from the Gospel of John. So here is, they actually just found the Pool of Siloam. It's really cool. We were coming out of Hezekiah's tunnel, and, you know, we're wet up to the knees here, and we're hungry, and we got away from the junior hires, and we stopped at these nice steps right here to have lunch. And we're eating lunch. And then I had just read this article about how they'd found the Pool of Siloam, and I recognized this picture, and it was like, whoa, what are we doing here? It was a miracle happened here, you know, and we're having lunch, and we don't even know what's going on. <laughs> this is sort of an, a wake-up moment, but kind of cool. So they found actually what they've been able to identify as the Pool of Siloam, and right there is where somebody was cured by Christ, okay? That, uh, pool of Siloam. I got two more. Punches Pilate. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. We have now found an inscription in Caesarea Maritima down on the coast. This one is in the Israel Museum. And it says, Tiberium, Punches Pilate, prefect of Judea. So Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Pool of Siloam, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, all these guys. Okay? We can find a lot of this stuff in archaeology. Okay, and the last one, Apostle Paul's travels. He, of course, goes up into Turkey here and then over into Greece on his missionary journeys. And this is a reference from the book of Acts. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said, eh, what he said we pay attention to, but was there really a Galileo? And we can find him in archaeology. In Delphi, they have found an inscription. And this is what, if you're, those of you who know Greek, 
This says right here, the man, it's a reference to Galileo. Rick Gerhardt and I were in Delphi about a year earlier this year, and we found this inscription. This is a little better picture than the one I was able to get, but it's a direct reference in the Greek records, Roman records, to the same person that's referred to in the scriptures. Kind of cool. Here's an interesting story. I was doing this for a high school group, and I said, does anybody know here know Greek? And one kid in the back raised his hand, you know, and I figured none of them would know it. And he came up and he read this perfectly. Galpha, Amda, Lambda, Lambda, Yoda. And it was uh, Jason Conger's uh, son. So, yeah, your senator has good bloodlines. I don't know. Anyway, this sharp kid. So he read that right out. But that's a reference to this person in the Bible. Okay, so what we've done here this morning, first of all, just in an archaeological overview. Oops. Let me go back here. How do we go back? Okay. Yeah, we've gone back too far. Okay, so there's your chart. I have other references up here. You'll see some books because I often get a question, well, what are the other references that I can use here? Uh, those are some good ones. But think about this now. Israel, David, Egyptian attacks, Yahweh, Jehu, Uzziah, Pekah, Hezekiah, Terhaka, Cyrus, I didn't show him, Ahab, Jeroboam, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Jehoiachin, the Babylonians, Herod, Pontius Pilate, Galileo, Pool, Siloam. Kind of sounds like the biblical story, right? If the scripture is telling us actual events that occurred, we should be able to go out into the field and kick around and find some record of those events, right? I propose that we, we can do that. So what that means is, and I don't, I'm not much of a preacher, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I think you kind of know what to do. This stuff has gravitas, it has weight in and of itself. Because now when we look at the scriptures, we can go, wow, there's something to this. It has weight to it, you see? It has history behind it. It's not just something we're making up in our own minds, okay? If you want other opportunities, uh, i got a class going at COCC called Ancient Wonders of the Bible. We'll have six hours of this. That's in, uh, in October, and it's in the COCC catalog right now. Kilns, uh, Archaeology in the Bible in the spring semester. Of course, we have a lot of classes coming up in a couple weeks for fall semester. Some excellent stuff. And then also, I happen to get a website. I got a name that nobody else took, and it's BibleAndArchaeology.com. I thought that would have been gone a long time ago. I got it a few months ago, and I just put a lot of these things up there for reference um, if you want to go back and look at them. And there's tons, tons more. I had to be selective this morning in what we give you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time.